speaking on whether he'd play in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And you've been listening to the news on RTHK. your Sunday morning. Biscuits. Anything else? Biscuits. Only oh. biscuits. What is the alternative? Well, it's me, Paul Haswell, and her, Carolyn Wright. The Pop Fugitives with the Sunday Escape every Sunday morning from 9am until 1pm on RTHK Radio 3. <laughs> It does not generate enough deterrent effect. So we are coming here to voice our concern. 6.30 weekday mornings, Hong Kong Today. The informed way to start the day. Just last month, Lee Fei, who's the deputy secretary... The illegal General. structure scandal took For a For three hours, to buildings department officials... Local and international news throughout the morning. Plus the latest in sports, business and daily topical guest interviews. I don't think there is a trend showing that uh, it is more serious than usual. Hong Kong Today, 6.30, Monday to Friday mornings on RTHK Radio 3. Good morning and welcome to another episode of The Week on 3. I'm Christy Lai, and I hope you're having a great weekend already. Why don't we start today's program with a hearty breakfast or something sweet? Every Tuesday on The 1 to 3 Show, Sadia Usmani invites people to share their favorite food memories. And on this week's soundbite, Patrika Fulgitini, who is the Vice President of the Italian Women's Association, talks all about the crostata or jam tart to us along with the joys of cooking growing up, which she has passed on to her young daughters as well. I have to say, to admit that um, my father is a foodie. Mm -hmm. And uh, my mom, uh, she passed away a few years ago, but mm -hmm. uh, she was a great cook. Uh -huh. And um, and so I grew up, I mean, tasting food and going out for a restaurant and having, I mean, they used to organize, you know, for example, dinner, theme dinner. So cod uh, prepared in three different ways. Or we have the traditional dishes like agnolotti that it's like a dumpling. So mm -hmm. it's pasta filled with uh, uh, meat, three kinds of meat, mm -hmm. pork, rabbit and veal. Mm -hmm. And we used to, of course, handmade pasta. That, yeah, uh, yeah oh, so delicious. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and for example, and so uh, I, I used to uh, cook with my my mom and my. I have three sisters, and so for example, um, homemade pasta was one of our uh, best moment, you know, to share together and the flour, everything <laughs> everywhere. But it was really nice. And for example, my mom used to cook his favorite um, dish when my father was a bit upset. So you know, just <laughs> and what to, was his favorite dish? <laughs> uh, a lot of favorite. Oh, 
English. <laughs> yes, he is a really foodie. And for example, we have now a group chat, uh, WhatsApp group chat with my father and my sister. And you can see a lot of uh, picture, food. food because I yes, know, my father used to go, I mean, to taste a uh, restaurant all over. Um, now he's 83, so basically more in Italy than, but, uh, and so every time they are posting pictures <laughs> or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And That's so, lovely. yeah, yes, it's nice. And um, my, f I mean, the eldest um, uh, sister is, she's a really good one. And so she's the one, for example, when I have to invite friend for dinner uh, or and I, ne I need some new recipe, I ask her, please okay. to give me, or, you know, the advice of the last moment, last minute advice. So oh, it's too liquid. What do I have to do? <laughs> and, um, and so, yes. And for example, one thing I really miss is the, the Christmas uh, lunch. Of course, in Italy, we used to celebrate all the important like of course wedding and but christmas easter we we share at the table mm -hmm. we gather and mm -hmm. we we mm -hmm. eat and we and while we are eating we are talking about food and so <laughs> well, it sounds and, quite familiar i tell you uh, we we're a bit of a foodie family too and the number of pictures that come up just of food all the time somebody's eating this somebody's got some sweet so we are a little bit obsessed i'm sure other yeah, people would yeah. think that we're a bit mad yeah. But uh, but we love it, yes. and that's the main thing. Yeah. So now, what is um, your soundbite for today? What have you chosen? Uh, my soundbite is uh, we call crostata. That okay. basically is a jam tart. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a. Um, I think the crostata sounds much more glamorous. Yeah, I'm, I mean, yeah, for <laughs> me, is uh, that I have to say it's a really simple one, but uh -huh. it's a. Um, um, short grass pastry mm -hmm. uh, spread with uh, jam mm -hmm. and then some decoration with uh, short grass pastry on the top mm -hmm. and that's it quite easy but um, I for me it's really important because it's the really first um, dish that I cook by myself when I was a child oh. and it was with the, the recipe of my mom to surprise her you know oh. so I said no no you stay there I want to do it all by myself and of course then I have to run in her uh, so you make the pastry yourself do you? yes yes uh -huh. and I used to do it of course you can buy Short already yeah, yeah but I, I I like to do by myself with hand not with a mixer or no um, mm -hmm. And um, I have to say that the first time I I made in Hong Kong, I was worried because you know the hot temperature yes. and the humidity. So I, I lock myself in the kitchen, <laughs> turning on the AC, uh -huh. and to to keep the um, the temperature because uh, it, it's difficult sometimes. Yeah, pastry can get yeah. a bit funny, can't yeah. it? That's yeah. right. Because yeah. I always find that things like um, bread as well, like if you baked bread in an oven and then you take it out and you sit it in the kitchen just to cool off. Yes. Then suddenly you go to it and it's all soft. It's, yes. And it's crusty yeah. when it's come out, but yeah. that must. Be be just the environment that we yeah. are in really isn't yeah. it yeah, exactly. great yeah. so so you made that from scratch and that's is it a favorite no. in your house? and they have to confess that when i was in italy um we had some plant uh, fruit plants and uh -huh. so we used Fresh to make the, yes the jam with another sister of mine <laughs> and uh, the, the third one and um, and so i mean it was really a satisfaction make the 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 crostata with your own um, jam from oh, uh, with the, the fruit from your uh, that sounds lovely yeah, yeah, yeah and and how would you normally have the crostata would you have it with say something like ice cream i think frankly to 
me, it just sounds like an ideal thing just to have a slice of with a, with a cup of tea. Yes, <laughs> yes. Crostata, I mean, for me, in my opinion, is the best way for a breakfast or a snack. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call the merenda, you know, when the kids uh, come back uh, come back from school and so they can have a slice of it. Mm-hmm. And yes, f- with tea, it's my yeah yes yeah my I was favorite with tea. I just need something, to, even a, even a small piece of something, just to go with your yep. tea. It just makes yep. the tea something yep. else, yep. doesn't yep. it? Exactly. Oh, it sounds lovely. So, so now you know. In terms of dishes that you're now making for your family in Hong Kong, are you doing the same things that you would normally do in Italy, or have you kind of changed because of ingredients, things like that? In Hong Kong, you can find all the ingredients because there's there are a lot of italian provider food provider uh-huh. so you can find really everything so it's quite easy if you can if you want to but we are uh, all let's say curious so we we, we like to try new uh, cuisine so and this is this is what I like about Hong Kong because I went to some, uh, I attended some um, cooking class. So one of dumpling, uh, one for the egg tart. Oh, so yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay. And of course the, the the cooking class I was mentioned before. And so trying, I mean, Japanese and um, Chinese, so really different kind of uh, of cuisine. So yes, basically we eat Italian food, but let's say. Uh, once a week we have a uh, Chinese. Uh, once we a week we have. Uh, I mean. Uh, oh, so you do have a variety of cuisines. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And how are the girls like? You know, are the girls um, interested in cooking? Are you, because you've obviously got a lot from your mother, and it's been passed on. Is that something that you see that lots of those dishes that you make will be passed on? Yes, I have to say that we cook a lot together. Uh-huh. And um, for example, I taught them how to do the crostata, uh-huh. and we do. Um, fresh handmade pasta here in Hong Kong, tagliatelle and oh. uh, lasagna, yeah, yeah, yes. And they used to help me. And uh, and then I have to say that also at school they have these um, food tech uh, classes mm-hmm. and so they are really uh, keen in, in, uh, in, in cooking. Mm-hmm. And for example, yesterday yes, uh, we for a co- um, food class and Spanish <laughs> class they combine and we made the tortillas de patatas okay. and with one of my daughter and so yes they are uh, and oh, I have to say that I'm lucky because they they used to eat everything That was Frederica Foltettini on Tuesday's 123 show with Sadia Usmani You're listening to The Week on 3 this Saturday May the 14th Around 6 months ago Phil Whelan spoke to the members of Project Avenger, a group of experts that uncovered the remains of a downed World War II plane in Tai Tam Country Park. Ever since, the project team has expanded and have made more amazing discoveries. On Thursday morning, team member Adam Janikowski caught up with Phil to tell us more about it. Of course, of course. Um, for those of you who are new to the story, uh, in in Late in the war, um, almost the entire U.S. naval um, fleet in the Pacific converged on Hong Kong mm-hmm. with a goal to cripple um, the Japanese forces that were using this as a shipping and coordination base. And, and get you know, spoiler alert, uh, they did. Yeah. Um, they actually didn't <laughs> land in Hong Kong. They then moved on and, and were 
at that point somewhat in mopping up exercises but at that after that hong kong was never a base that the japanese could use um through this uh, it was called operation gratitude okay. um december 16th 1945 and um there was, I think, 12 aircraft carriers involved in the uh, in the bombing. Over 500 uh, planes bombing raids were uh, were flown, and through that, there was uh, several planes were downed. Um, some in a harbor, one where the HSBC building is, um, a few over on the Kowloon side, okay. and uh, two very specific ones that we're aware of uh, crashed collided unfortunately there was a lot of flak a lot of anti-aircraft um being thrown up in the air these two planes collided and crashed uh where the titan reservoir is uh and, and the titan country park is right now so uh 10 years ago um my my um co-adventurer uh on this craig mitchell found the plane um bit of luck and he was looking i'm assuming right adam he was actually looking it's a really interesting story uh he tells it much better than i but i'll, I'll attempt to tell his story a little bit um he was look he would been given a map of japanese um embankments gun gun embankments from world war ii mm. and he was basically looking at he's a metal detectorist and he was looking for one that was marked on the map and he was up in the hills in titan came across this amazing piece of metal that had no business being there, uh, took it home, cleaned it up, and realized that uh, the uh, the screws had air, aircraft tolerances and had writing on them. So a quick Google search uh, let him know that this was a very large piece of an aircraft, a fuselage, and he knew it was onto something. So he expanded his search over a course of a few weeks and came, literally fell, when I say literally, I use it in the proper sense of the word, fell into the um, the crash site. Uh, did, did, did he realize at that time that there was only one way that piece of metal could have gotten there? He did. He did. Once he realized um, from the from the Google search of the numbers on the screw and the, and the tolerances and the fact that it was high uh, quality aluminum that he had found, okay. he realized he was onto something um, uh, that was it was aircraft. Um, you know, what I should mention is at the time, um, the Japanese and the locals had come up and essentially scavenged the aircraft. So it's not like we found a giant aircraft and it was recognizable as bits and pieces, particularly the heavier things uh, that couldn't be carried away or the smaller things that weren't worth um, salvage. Mm -hmm. So at the time, a lot of stuff would have been, you know, with the impact, etc., it would have been covered up. But obviously the years have added to that. So how much do you think the years buried this thing, oh. if you like? Uh, not so much buried because I think, as people know, up the hill in, in Titan, it's a very thin soil, very acidic as well. Ah, okay. Um, and this crashed on what I would call uh, almost a, a ravine. Um, interestingly, there were two ravines, one where we found the majority of um, uh, artifacts and, and relics. And you could see over the years the typhoon had washed uh, some of the pieces down the hill. The heavier pieces had stayed and actually created a dam and almost a platform of, right. uh, of silt and dirt. But there was a ravine maybe um, five meters uh, to the east that had these very interesting black rocks that didn't look normal for uh, for for Titan geology. Mm -hmm. And our working theory is, if you turned over the rock, it was a, a normal colored rock. Our working theory is that actually there was a river of jet fuel that had ignited, and the jet fuel went down a different uh, ravine than the artifacts had washed down. So all kinds of very interesting things we could learn from uh, from from our expedition. Can you tell me a little bit about the plane? So it was a, a TBM-1C Avenger. Now was that a yeah. Yes. Was that what was that plane? What was what, what's the deal? 
so that was a bomber. Uh, compliment of three people. Um, quite interesting, and, and we could talk about the <clears throat> the human side of this in a minute. But because I had a compliment of three people, typically, <coughs> excuse me. Um, Typically, the pilot could eject because he had a large canopy. Um, in the back, we there was a navigator and a, and a bombardier, a bomber. And uh, the way it was structured is if you were hit uh, and went down in one of those planes and you're spinning around, it would be very, very difficult to eject. So basically, um, if you made it back from the mission, uh, as you made it back, but otherwise those were quite often uh, two men who went down. Uh, with this plane, um, just to talk about the human... Yes. aspect of it because fundamentally uh, this was uh, essentially a war grave or, or at least a, a place uh, very sacred to the memory of these these airmen who, who died um, uh, there were no remains they were and everybody asks us that uh, over 80 years the acidic soil would have taken care of anything but actually the US um, uh, came and repatriated any remains that they they had found over the time and Craig uh, actually did a lot of the work, has been in touch with the airmen's families, um, provided a bit of closure through this project. But the um, the pilot uh, survived for a few weeks and was actually taken to Japan to be interrogated. So we have done, um, not not just did we go up the hill and, and um, excavate the plane, but we did a lot of the desk work that's required for any, uh, any kind of uh, expedition like this. That was Adam Janikowski from Project Avenger. You can check out their website at project-avenger.com or their Facebook page at Project Avenger. Last night on The Common Room, Allison was super excited to be talking to the legendary actress Glenn Close, who is starring in the second season of the Apple TV Plus spy thriller, Tehran. Here they are, along with the show's lead, Niv Sultan, who plays Tamar, an Israeli agent. Allison firstly wanted to know from Glenn, what was it like working with this cast? It was so exciting because it was very intense and we went very fast. I, I've, I've done TV before and, you know, you usually have a very fast, but this was amazing. <laughs> it was intense. The crew was so, it was like a dance. And Danny and, and Gigi, the, our, our um, DP, had worked together before, so they had this language. You know, you'd, hear, you'd see them kind of yelling at each other, and Danny was like saying, we're not fighting, we're just discussing. <laughs> well, that's a total... Re- this is their relationship. Yeah, this is yeah, how yeah. they work. Yeah, so, you, wow. you know, the great energy. Great energy, and you felt you were being very take, taken care of very well by both Gigi, our cameraman, and Danny. Um, strong personalities, and it was really, it was, I loved that. Wow. And for Neve, now that you've already had a huge success with season one, it's an international Emmy winner, yeah. and now we've got Glenn Close to work closely and with. I mean, no Close. pressure. <laughs> a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. I have to say, when they told me uh, Glenn is joining, I don't think I I actually realized that this show is already international. international. They told me Glenn is joining the cast, and I asked, how? <laughs> I mean, why? How How did you do it? They told me we sent an offer. She loved it. She watched the first season. I asked, she watched the first season. You mean she also watched me <laughs> in the first season. <laughs> so it's amazing, obviously. 
Well, now talk about season two is more personal for your character. How are you grasping around this new challenge, the new mission? Uh, it's totally, it's much more personal for Tamal uh, in so many aspects. She also has Milad with her. Her uh, motivation for the mission is much more personal and she has so much to lose. So I think it will be interesting to see how she managed to, to, su to success. Yeah. Incredible. Now, you did say that you watched the first season. Glenn, what was your reaction while watching the first season? It showed a part of the world and it, it told a story that I basically knew very, very little about. I know as an American, we don't know much about that part of the country. I, I, I mean, part of the globe. Uh, and I think as a global citizen now, because of, of I'm, we're talking to you in Hong Kong, um, yeah, I just I wanted to be a part of that. I think it's it's the future. And Apple TV Plus is one of the pioneers of picking these wonderful shows from various countries that aren't English speaking, and putting them in, you know giving them a global audience. And um, <clears throat> so I really I really believe in that. I think it's it's all for good for you know for us to try to understand each other better and to tell each other's stories. So I was that that was besides it being good writing, besides it being a good story. I also really loved um, the fact that I will be on a, I would be on a set that was not not English. English wasn't the first language. Amazing. Could you finally give each of us one reason to watch Tehran season two? Oh la la! One reason. Um... <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. And Glenn, what's the one reason you would give Hong Kong to watch? It's just a damn two? good series and it's really good, exciting television. That's it. That's it. Thank you again so much for your time and what a gripping experience you are taking us on. I can't wait for Hong Kong to experience oh, it. Oh, great. Thank, Thank you. So you. Much. Alison Howe was talking to Glenn Close and Niv Sultan, the stars of Apple TV's Plus Tehran, on last night's Common Room. To end today's program, I'll leave you with Steve James, who will once again take you back to that day in history. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll catch you next week on The Week on 3. I'm Christy Lai. The Steve James Radio Program. We are uh, so madly in love with this uh, squishy fat, happy little boy. Oh, the factories may be roaring with the boom a lack zoom a lack wee But there isn't any roar when the clock strikes four Everything stops for tea Now I know just why Franz Schubert Yes? Didn't finish his unfinished symphony What do you say? He might have written more, but the clock struck more. Ah. And everything's done for tea. I see. This afternoon's tea break. Uh, this day, 1965, Wilson Pickett recorded a soul classic with studio musicians Steve Cropper and Al Jackson of the Stax Records house band, including bassist Donald Duck Dunn, 
The song was composed by Pickett and Steve Cropper at the historic Lorraine Motel in Memphis, where Martin Luther King Jr. would later be assassinated in April 1968. The song was... Day 1965, Wilson Pickett recorded in the midnight hour.
From one. Do it, do it. 